Hey, good peoples. Welcome to the 180 with Eric Lockley. I'm your host, Eric Lockley. There are moments in life that define us, that set us on one path or plunge us down a completely different path altogether. Join me as we dive into our guest's turning points. Let's laugh, heal, and be inspired together as we pull back the curtain on how our guest made the 180. Sometimes life gets hard when you're on your journey. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life will be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah. 180, y'all. The 180. I am so honored and excited to have my guest, William Jackson Harper, here today. Woo! <laughs> but you deserve it. But you deserve it. Uh, thanks, brother. Uh, you know, you, you were saying that theme song was long before we started. That, that, that's not that long. That's not, that's a, <laughs> like, this is a little long. I'd hate to cut it off, but it's like, that's a theme song, man. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I grew up in the, you know, late 80s, 90s when theme songs were like a big deal. Yeah. And now most shows are kind of like, okay, we'll give you a little. Yeah. That's it. So I was just like, I, I really want a theme song. Yeah, dude, I was doing I was doing this voiceover gig recently, and they were like, you know, after you end this piece of action, just hum a little something to yourself, you know, as the character. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And my brain automatically went to the theme from the A Team, yes. like just <laughs> like that's exactly where my brain yes. went. And I was just like, yo, that's just in there taking up space. I could be using it for other things, but instead, I just got the theme from the A Team at the ready pretty much at all times. So it's like, wow, okay. Embedded. Those theme songs are effective, baby. Yeah, man. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with William Jackson Harper, but I'm going to give you an appropriate little intro, sir. William Jackson Harper is a critically acclaimed American actor and playwright. He's best known for portraying Chidi Anagonye on the NBC comedy The Good Place. Will received his first Emmy nomination this year, hey, for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series, and also received a Critics' Choice Television Award in the same category both this year and in 2019 for his work on The Good Place. Will also has acting credits in a variety of film, television, and stage projects, including Midsommar, Dark Waters, and Patterson. He lit up the stage here in New York City in The Total Bent, a really awesome rock, blues, and soul musical by Stu, who also wrote Broadway's Passing Strange. Will's writing credits include his play Travisville, which premiered at the Ensemble Studio Theater in 2018. And not only does he act and write, but he also plays the drums in the band. He's a member of the band The U.S. Open. Upcoming projects include the Amazon limited series The Underground Railroad, which was based on the book of the same name and was adapted for the screen by Barry Jenkins. And just announced, he will be the lead of season two of Love Life on HBO Max. I'm so honored to have this brother as my guest. Let's welcome William Jackson Harper. (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm great, man. I'm great. Went on a big, long hike today. It was like six miles, something like that, just about. So Wow. Okay. That's the Cali life. Yeah, exactly. It's like that's pretty much all there is to do that feels remotely safe. Yeah. Me and my girlfriend got up and got out and like went for a long, long hike. I discovered that my shoes 
are destroyed. They're done. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, like when you're on a hike or when you're running and like your feet hurt and then your knees hurt. Right. But the shoes are still together, but they just hurt more. You're not even thinking that it's the shoes. No, because it's like they don't have holes in them. They're not flopping, but it's just like, dang, this hurts a lot more. Just like I'm like a mile into something and it hurts to walk. I'm like, Uh dang, is that does that mean that it's like Time to get new stuff. Anyway, but yeah, like that's that's what we did. You know, I got myself some new tennis shoes, went on a hike, and then that's about it. <laughs> nice, good, good. As long as you're not resistant. I know my family, my mother would say to my father, Bobby, just get new shoes. Yeah. And my father was always like trying to fix things or be like, you know, justify why he doesn't need to buy something new. Yeah. I was like... No, don't do that. Just get it. Just get the new thing. Just get the new thing. It's okay. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. And I'm bad with like any sort of athletic stuff. Like anything like running shoes, shirts, you know, workout, any of that stuff. I still act like a high schooler who was Uh (laughs) dramatically unathletic. You know, just like I just wear whatever was the dirtiest thing or the oldest thing that I have. I just, you know, I don't don't (laughs) do the whole athleisure thing and like investing in your fitness gear. I never did that. And so it's not until recently my girlfriend was like, you should get some stuff that doesn't smell like that after a week. (laughs) I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. She turned my life around. That's important in a relationship. Somebody's going to turn it around, give you a little 180. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it back, you know? I'm going to find a way to bring it back. 180. (laughs) (laughs) So on the 180, we love to play some games and uh, have a good time getting to know you. It's game time on the 180. The name of the game is... Mmm, sounds like heaven. This game time is about heaven, given that you had that beautiful work on The Good Place. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Heaven won't be in the answer all the time, but it has to do with heaven. Okay. Who sang heaven is a place on earth? And I'm going to give you two options. You might know off the top of your head. I surely did not. Was it Belinda Carlisle? Or Debbie Gibson. Mm. And do you know the song? Because if not... That's all I can give you, though. <laughs> I, I knew what the song sounded like, but I just wanted to see what you would do. <laughs> I was like, is he going to sing at me? Ah, dang, I don't know. Is it is it Belinda Carlisle? That is... Correct! Hey, It is Belinda Carlisle, yes, yeah. All right. Debbie Gibson sang a bunch of other songs... That, you know, when I hear them, I'm like, oh, that's Debbie. Yeah. But I don't know off the top of my head, no. <laughs> unfortunately, you know. Second question. This 2001 Chris Rock comedy was inspired by a Warren Beatty film. The 2001 film is described as, after dying before his time, an aspiring black comic gets a second shot at life by being placed in the body of a wealthy white businessman. Oh. Do you know the name of the film? I have two options, but you might know it. You might know it. Uh, give, can you give me the options? I don't know. I don't know the title. Is it Heaven Can Wait or Down to Earth? Oh, Down to Earth. Correct. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, two for two. Yeah. Well, like 1.5, but all right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Hey, you know, yeah. Yeah. Number three, who said this? Two things inspire me to awe. The starry heavens above and the moral universe within. Albert Einstein or Ralph Waldo Emerson? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and take a guess and say Ralph Waldo Emerson. Okay, okay. (laughs) First one wrong. I know. It was hard. And Albert Einstein said it, and I found that out, and I said, ooh, who sounds like they would really say it? (laughs) I'm kind of glad you got it wrong, because that means 
it was a convincing alternative, you know what I mean? I mean, I had no idea, so. Number four, the 1990 cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door by Guns N' Roses was featured on the soundtrack to this Tom Cruise 1990 film. Top Gun or Days of Thunder? Days of Thunder. That is correct. Hey. <laughs> yes, good, good. All right, number five. This Mariah Carey song's billboard record for most weeks at number one was recently broken by Lil Nas X. Is it One Sweet Day or Hero? Oh, One Sweet Day. Yeah, that, that one was, I like, I like to read that and I put my finger on the correct, and I was like, he gonna get that. <laughs> there's plenty of time for me to disappoint you, bro. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of time, so. This is the last one. I think you're gonna, you're gonna get this. This 1998 movie starring Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan features the song Angel by Sarah McLachlan, which also can be heard in many of those infomercials about sad dogs. Do you know the title of the film? Song is Angel, 1998 movie, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. I don't know. I want to say City of Angels. I think you want to be right. Okay. All right. Yes. That is correct. That was six questions and you got five out of six. That's that's not bad at yeah. all. That's, that's, we give you an, a round of applause. Uh, press play. <laughs> <laughs> just keep it like that. No, just like real short. Right. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, you did pretty well on that. Now I'm gonna just try to get to know you a little more by asking more silly questions that aren't trivia related. If you could have any fictional character as your imaginary friend, who would you choose and why? The first thing that's jumping to mind is Voltron. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I got a homie, he's made out of mechanical lions. Right. You know, and just like bringing him around, he's huge. Don't nobody mess with me. I got Voltron. Yeah. I got Voltron. Yeah, he's got a sword made out of light. He doesn't say much, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And was that your first thought? Partially because as a kid, you enjoyed him? Or is it like protection? Or, I mean, what would you all talk about? Voltron doesn't talk. It's just all the people inside <laughs> Voltron's lines talk. I mean, I'm not sure if Voltron even qualifies as a character, but to me, he's a character. Oh, yes. I remember I was obsessed with Voltron as a kid. Yeah. I was obsessed with it. And I know that they had like a reboot of it on Netflix a couple of years ago, and I meant to get into it, and I just didn't. This is not what I was thinking as a kid, but I think in retrospect, mm -hmm. I think it was the fact that all these little, like, sort of seemingly weak characters would hop into these things and become this incredible force. There was, like, characters that were, like, small, and some that were just, like, you know, not physically adept, you know, and, and then they would jump into their lines and go save the universe. And so I was just, I don't know, I, I, I think I liked that they felt like characters that could be people in some way. Mm -hmm. And so, I, yeah, I just, I, I loved it. And I just loved that, you know, Voltron had a, a sword made of light, and then... There's another version of Ultron where he was made out of cars. So, I mean, it's, it was just, <laughs> right. it was aimed at kids, but it's always in the back of my mind, Voltron. Well, that, there might be a future movie in there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who knows? You might be manifesting this moment <laughs> where <laughs> you will have a Voltron best friend and you all will go on adventures around the universe or multiple universes. Yeah. What sport would you compete in if you were in the Olympics? I would want to do like the 800 meter run mm. because it's like right in that weird spot in between like the 400 meter dash which is all speed right it is like a lot of calibration too but i mean the thing that people say about the 800 meter run is that it's that weird distance where you really have to game out how you're going to run this race 
and you have to have enough in the tank for a kick at the end. And so it's just something about that, which is mm. riding that line between a full-on sprint and a long-distance run. And I've been into running lately, and so it's, you know, mm. not hardcore, but just enough. Not preparing for the Olympics, but... Not preparing for the Olympics or any races of any sort, but I do enjoy <laughs> it because it's meditative. Like, I like doing, like, a half mile just to see how long I can keep up mm-hmm. a decent pace like a, a real pace, not just a jogging pace, but like an actual run pace. It's kind of fun to do. When you're running, do you typically listen to stuff or do you go back and forth between listening to music or podcast or nothing? Oh, I listen to music. I listen to music. It, it, yeah, it, it hurts too much uh, to not listen to music. <laughs> right. And I can't listen to podcasts because I stopped paying attention. Mm-hmm. I think with like music, I'm just imagining myself playing it and having a good time. Mm, Whereas when it's a podcast, I'm very aware of trying to follow something, how long they've been on this particular vignette or topic. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not paying attention. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm suffering. So music is, music is my jam. Nice. Who is one of your favorite three named actors? You know, I've actually got one, uh, Jason Butler Harner. Okay. Actually, I did a show with him back in Dallas mm. in 2002 or 2003. We were doing Hamlet. He was Hamlet, and he's like the best Hamlet I've ever seen. And he's he's like also a New York theater kid, and he's done like a bunch of stuff in the city. And every time I see him, I'm just like, damn, this dude is good. You know, he's just one of those actors. So when you see him on stage, you're just like, yeah, this dude is just, he's just, he's just good without efforting it it's like i really enjoy watching him Mm -hmm. and you know he's also been on you know been doing a lot of tv and film in the last couple of years he's one of my acting heroes i love watching him awesome well i'm definitely gonna look up jason now and and make sure i try to see the next thing he's doing that's cool yeah and i love hamlet that is actually my favorite shakespeare play and so anytime that i hear that someone killed it as hamlet i'm like oh my gosh i wish i could have seen it or try to get to see it he did man i'd never seen hamlet played that way before or since and Mm. and it's not like he was adding a bunch of bells and whistles it just felt immediate and it didn't feel like he was just um he wasn't like just so attached to the idea of Hamlet. He was just, it was just specific to him. And I, it was, it was great watching him play that part. Mm. It was the clearest I've ever seen it. It was funny. Oftentimes I find that when I watch Hamlet, I, I'm, Hamlet is usually not my most favorite performance to watch in that show mm-hmm. because there's other characters that I just identify more with, you know? And I really, and I think it's because of his performance, I really identify with Hamlet very, very strongly. Yeah, it's the best I've seen. So I'm going to ask you a few more questions that are specific to you, your career. Tell us how you got your start in show business. Well, like the business part, I think, was actually my first professional job was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I went to school. Mm-hmm. They were doing like a Shakespeare summer stock thing there, Shakespeare in Santa Fe. And yeah, I was 20. And I was like, you know, I think I just finished my sophomore year of college. Is that right? Were you studying acting? Yeah, I was studying acting. Yeah. And they were looking mm-hmm. for, you know, younger actors to play, you know, the four lovers in Midsummer. And I, I got one of those parts and I got like this other little part in Measure for Measure. And that was like my first professional job. I've been studying for a little bit. That was the first paid job. And then I actually went back to Texas after graduating from College of Santa Fe and started working in the theater scene in Dallas for a couple of years and I actually got my equity card down there. And then I then I moved to New York in 2004. Yeah, late 2004. Mm. And just pounded the pavement for like about 
three years doing showcases and readings and workshops and hanging out at EST all the time and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing that sort of thing. And then like about three years into being in New York, I got my first actual weekly paycheck contract with a My Yee Theater Company. Oh, awesome. Yes, My Yee. Doing a show by Lloyd Suh called Children of Onderley. Yeah, I've uh, I've just sort of been just at it ever since. That was that was like sort of when it I started to string together jobs mm-hmm. after that and started to primarily make my living as an actor uh, after that show. Nice. And before that, when you were in college or before you were in college, was there a moment that you knew that acting was what you wanted to do or performing was what you wanted to do? Well, my mom actually kind of made me do theater in middle school because I was shy. And so she was like, we got to shake you out of this. Uh-huh. And I had no interest in doing theater. I mean, I wanted to do sports. I wanted to be a jock kind of, but I I mean, I'm not gifted in that realm <laughs> at all. I wanted to play music, but... You know, I it was. I remember my mom just being like, I, "I think it's really important that I had a choice between music and sports," and she really wanted to push me to do sports because, you know, for a couple of different reasons. One, I was a chubby little kid, and I needed to yeah. I needed to work out. And two, I think she just wanted to have that sort of, you know, that really have a lot of male camaraderie and teamwork mm-hmm. in my life uh, because she was yeah. at this point she was a single mom because mm-hmm. my dad had passed you know a bunch of years before and so you know she was like this is this will be good for you to have and so anyway that's a complete tangent she made me do theater because I was um because I was shy and so I had this idea that it was going to be really corny a bunch of like wearing yeah. tights and pumpkin pants and getting down on one <laughs> knee and saying cheesy stuff to some girl up on a balcony. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And I found that, A, it wasn't that, you know, it was it was a lot of other things. Yeah. But it was, I, I was doing a lot of improv in a lot of these classes and finding ways nice. to make people laugh and finding that I could do that, you know, that I, it was not hard for me to make people laugh. I mean, it didn't mean that I didn't fall on my face a lot. Right. But every now and again, I would get a big laugh from people. No, no, that was just a huge boost to my ego. Yeah, and especially at that age. I mean, in middle school, high school, when you want to be either accepted or validated, yeah. all that great stuff. It's like, oh, I can make people laugh? Oh, people are entertained? That's great. Oh, yeah. great. Uh, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so I kept doing it just, you know, just for fun because I was enjoying it. And then in high school, I was doing it, and I was doing it more at first just because I was like I need an extracurricular I kind of like this so I'm gonna keep doing this and senior year I finally it's sort of made my decision that I was maybe gonna pursue this in college just because I was actually pretty good at it for a you know 16 17 year old and I decided I remember like the night before maybe two nights before the Texas State Thespian Festival I decided to audition for schools just on the lark and I was like you know what I'll go I'll audition I'll audition and see how it how it goes and um and I'll major in it maybe and then I'll probably find something that's more stable over the time that I'm studying in school but then uh-huh. you know I got to school and it was just I I just loved it too much to not really just go for it yeah so yeah i think that it's like you know starting in middle school my mom forcing me to do it and then again getting into college and being like dang i uh this is i i love doing this i you know i don't really enjoy anything the way i enjoy doing this and knowing as an artist as a creative we have those moments where it's like this is what i love to do i don't see myself doing anything else and then some shit happens. Yeah. And you're like, why am I doing this? How 
how is it possible that something that brings me so much joy can bring me so much pain and heartache and frustration and, you know? Yeah. So I guess talk about some of those moments or at least one of those moments for you and how you kind of pushed past that. Oh, man. The harshest one for me. I remember, you know, I've been doing my thing in theater for a while and in New York and, you know, I was, I was stringing together jobs. I was making it barely, barely, barely making it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, I was actually, that was how I was predominantly paying my bills and my rent and ignoring other bills, obviously. Yes. Yep. I do understand. <laughs> <laughs> but the first time that I really found myself like, yo, this hurts. I don't, I, this hurts was, I, I remember I was, um, I had come out to LA after a pilot season and that previous pilot season, I had had like a really close call and it was really, it really, that hurt, you know, it hurts to get that close. Yeah. It always hurts when you get right. close because you, A, you're not sure if you're going to get there again. Mm-hmm. It seems like it took forever to get to that opportunity. And then, well, dang, man, is it going to be another three year cycle before I get another shot at something that's going to like... Mm. Just allow me a little breathing room for, you know, a year. Right. This particular time, I remember I had gone out. I auditioned for this pilot presentation. They decided that they they, they weren't going to cast me. And they were looking for, like, a, a name, like a, a real, like, sort of comedy name. It, it wasn't even the lead of the show. It's like, you know, like, the lead's best friend. And I I didn't get it. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, like, that that happens. Like, as I was in the running, the best I can hope for is to make a good impression. And hopefully they call me back in at some point. Yes, which is truth, but sometimes hard to, uh, hard pill to oh, swallow. Yeah. But it's truth. It's, you know. I wound up. You know, coming back to New York, I get a call from my agent, like, remember that thing that you auditioned for that they said they didn't want you? I was like, yeah. They're like, well, they want you. Then, and I was like, wait, what? Hallelujah! <laughs> you had one of those moments. Hallelujah! Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, so I was like, well, okay, great. You know, like, I'm, uh, I, what do I got to do? They're like, you know, we need you to fly out, you know, in the next, like, day or so. I remember at the time I was broke, and I think my agent at the time front of me the money to fly out there mm-hmm. and we're getting ready to put together what's called a pilot presentation which is usually just like a short little piece of a pilot not the whole thing but we decided mm-hmm. to do the whole thing in front of a live studio audience oh wow and uh i get there we rehearse for the week we you know get the rewrites and we're, we do the show in front of a live studio audience and it it goes great it goes like so well and i'm like i can't believe this is my life right now i'm working on this sitcom like it's just for the audience it's like and and for the execs but Uh i'm on a lot in front of a live studio audience getting laughs yes you know like that's just like that felt amazing and so this is my life yeah and and so you know it was like okay so we made the pilot now you just gotta wait and we'll see if we pick it up or something like that and um and I remember I was like, I, I went back home. I was just sort of waiting to hear. And then like the, the the sort of time limit that they had on that hold lapsed and they wound up paying us for an episode of TV. And I was like, great. So you just you wow. pay me more, more money just to, just to hang out? <laughs> just wait. This is amazing. Hold I'll do that. Yes. And then I, you know, in the, in, in the interim, while all this is going on, I'm actually you know, in contact with the creator of the show and the lead of the show. And, you know, we're, we're going back and forth. We're having a great time. And, you know, he comes out to New York and he's like, man, like you, you killed it. And 
you know, I'm just, you know, I fought for you for that part and I'm glad that you did it and, uh-huh. you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, that's great. And he was like, you know, it, no matter what happens, you know, with this, uh, with this network, I have other things in the works and I would love to work with you. And I was like, that's great. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I thought like, wow, okay, this is, you know, it's based on relationships and I, I'm, I made a, I made a friend here and. I, I have to, I have to say. For anyone that cannot see my face, which is anyone that's only listening, I am on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I am so nervous about whatever's about to happen. But but yes, okay. keep going. Well, it's a okay. story everybody, every, every actor has at least something like this. <laughs> right. More time elapses. And I read in like the trade papers that the show that... I had worked on with this guy, got picked up mm-hmm. and that they were going to make something out of it. And I was like, dude, that's amazing. So, but I hadn't heard anything from my agents yet. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's like they'll make the calls later. I didn't know how this works. Usually it's, you know. Right. And so I texted this guy and I was like, hey, man, I heard that your show got picked up. That's great. And, you know, no matter how it goes, like you, it's well-deserved and I'm pulling for you. And then I remember me and my girlfriend are sitting down having a sandwich at Court Street Grocer in Brooklyn. Oh, you remember? It's that specific. Oh, yeah. That's when I got an email from my agents just basically saying, you know, subject line was the title of the show. And the body of the email was like, it's not happening, man. They're retooling the whole thing. Everybody that was on the show uh-huh. is now released. Uh fired <laughs> and right right yeah they're gonna move oh. forward with a complete retool of the of the show i remember like you know like okay this stings and i remember like texting the dude like oh so i just heard from my agent i'm not going forward with it but i just want to know no hard feelings i understand how that goes and mm. there was no response after that oh. and oh. i was just sort of like uh, and here's the thing. I'm the king of the ghosters. I'm a terrible ghoster myself. I can't be <laughs> mad about that. I'm awful at it. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, like, no shade about that. I think the thing that really stung was just that we had had this dialogue over the course of several months right. that led me to believe that either A, you know, we were going to work towards something or, you know... B, we were going to be on this show or, you know, and, and, and I, 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 I don't know. I just, I felt like after sitting down, having meals, having drinks, hanging out, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and I gave him an out, you know, basically I was like, look, you, I'm not mad at you. Right. You know, it's like, you can just be like, I'm, I'm not going to hound you about this. We're not going to, we don't need to have a back and forth, but I would have, you know, it would have been nice just to say like, yeah, man, that's just how this goes down. And then that would have been it, you know, but just some, right, right, you know, yeah, but it's some response, but it's like, you know, holding out, you know, the thing is like you're off the market for so long and then you're just, right. you're just fired. And uh, that, that hurt, that hurt because it was like those opportunities don't come up often. Yeah. I think for me, it, I had to have a pretty good batting average in order to consistently work. And because I just didn't see like a ton of auditions all the time. It wasn't, you know, there's those people that talk about going on auditions like three and four in a day. That's never been me. You know? <laughs> You're like, what? Huh? I'm like one Where a week. Where did you do that at? Huh? Well, I, that's an yeah. embarrassment of riches. You know, like that's what it was yes. for the longest time. Yeah. And so that was like one of those times where I was like, well, I don't know when I'm going to get back to this you know like these opportunities don't come up and i finally got one that went my way and it's going to be another couple of years i guess before i get another shot Mm. i mean that was depressing that that busted me up pretty good i have a sound for that yeah yeah 
it sounds sucky. Yeah. But, you know, you're here now, you made it. So was there, for that situation or a different situation, something that helped to bring you out of that? Because, yeah, absolutely. Like, that feeling of having such high expectations for this opportunity and then it looking one way and then turning a completely different direction and not going your way. Was there anything that you would say, this really helped me through that challenge? I mean, honestly, like my relationships helped me out mm. a lot. You know, my girlfriend has always been very level-headed when it comes to dealing with the ups and downs and disappointments of this industry. I mean, she's yeah. she's a performer too, and so it's wow. She gets it. Yeah. You know, I also had a really great set of roommates that I was living with mm. at the time. We were all going through a bunch of stuff. You know, and we were all just sort of figuring it out. And it was really nice to have somebody, like just a group of dudes that were just like, yo, bro, that sucks. And now let's go have a couple of drinks and have a weird late night obscure music dance party. Yes. Just dudes yes, yes. in the apartment <laughs> and, and yes. just put these up. Just yeah, like, yeah. oh, oh, oh. Just yeah, like. Yeah, we're just like. Letting go. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just let go. Just like hoodies up, all sorts of dumb stuff happening. And it's just like, it's, you know, like that was, it was, it was a lot of that, which sort of like pulled me out of it. Mm-hmm. At this particular time, I don't think I had started playing like consistently with the U.S. Open, but like, I think that over the sort of peaks and valleys of the last few years, playing music with the U.S. Open actually helped quite a bit because just having an outlet that isn't tied to my livelihood. It's like art. Right. It's just, we're just doing it for us. We're doing it to have fun. We're doing it because we enjoy it. And there's no stakes other than we just want to get in the room and get weird. Those things really, really helped a lot. And you're playing the drums in the US Open, right? Yeah. Yeah. But is it percussion or the drum, you know, like, are you on a drum set or will you every once in a while, like pick up a tambourine or like, you know, yeah, every now and again, I pick up a tambourine or I just put it on the hi-hat, but I'm usually on a drum set. Yeah. yeah just a kit. Okay. Yeah. It's therapeutic as hell, man. It's like when you're mad. I'm sure. Just like, right. Just Boom. beating the shit out of a snare real fast is yes. all you need. Oh yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's great. It's, it's been a lifesaver in a lot of ways for me because mm. I'm not particularly a good musician. I just enjoy it. It's just for fun. I think about, cause I know when I was in middle school, there was a moment when I thought I was going to play the drums. <laughs> Where you uh, thought you were? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I said, I said, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. But then when I got in front of a drum set and I was like, wait, my foot has to do what at the same time as the left hand has to do what? And then the right hand has to be ready to what? Yeah. So I just, the coordination, I just couldn't really get it. But I remember like loving that idea of being able to like, but the other element of it is my parents were like, I don't know if we want you to be drumming. You know, I don't don't know if we really, right. If we really want... You to invest in this idea, yeah. like it, it's it's a nice idea momentarily. So with that in mind, do you have a place? Like, how do you practice, or where do you go? Or like, when you were starting out, was there a place where you were like, okay, I'm just gonna be in the apartment? Like, oh yeah, oh no, 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 like oh low lord, not in the apartment. No, uh, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we actually just got rehearsal studios. We would play up at Funkadelic yeah. in Midtown. We play there sometimes. Oh, okay, yeah, I know that. Place. It was just a bunch of studios and really good vibe, really good people. 
that work there. And so we like going there. Also Complete Music Studios in Brooklyn. Mm. So it's like one of those two places, that's where we go and we would, you know, we would play. Yeah. We just get in there and would not take a break for like two hours. We'd just be banging around, playing like one jam for like 45 minutes. Love it. You know, out of that, there would be like maybe five minutes that sounded like a song and the rest is just like, <laughs> you know, who knows what it is. It's therapy. I mean, it's all yeah. therapy, but get it out. Yeah, and, but that's yeah. how we actually built our songs. They're like built out of these extended jams like these little moments that are like that works that's a, a good foundation for something so let's let's move on and, and let's explore this little piece and keep building on that and you know it's, it's it's really rare that we actually go in there and have a song that we're going to play or mm-hmm. someone's written something beforehand and it's like you played exactly like this it's like Someone may come in with a loose idea and people will jam around it, but mm. it's everything is generated in the room. Yeah, That's nice because you're not up there just executing. You're actually contributing and creating something with a whole bunch of other people, which is, that's great. You were talking about you did improv before as the actor, yeah. but improving as a musician, it seems like in those moments with a group of collaborators trying to create a song, create music together, yeah. which is, is beautiful. Yeah. I was raised watching Dwayne Wayne, Steve Urkel, and I feel like there's a interesting cultural moment of like the black nerd, right? Mm. And I think your character on The Good Place like falls into that. What has it been like being the icon of like a community of people? Has have you had any weird moments with that or reckoning or like It's interesting to feel like I'm a part of tradition of Black performers mm-hmm. and sort of expanding this particular archetype. Like you said, we grew up with it. Oh, you're right. Like these, these, like characters like this exist. Although I got to say, I never thought Dwayne Wayne was a nerd. I thought he was, I always thought that he was cool. And it wasn't until I got yes. older that people were like, he was a nerd. I'm like, he was not a nerd. I felt the same way. I'm so glad you said that. Because yeah, when I was a kid, I was like, oh no, Dwayne Wayne's cool. Yeah. But yeah, and then as I got older, I was like, no, people were like, he's a nerd. And I was like, wait, I didn't think so. I didn't really think so. I knew he was a nerd. I mean, Ron was supposed to be suave, but he wasn't really. Ron was like a jerk and weird. Ah, he was goofy. Right, he was so goofy. It was so goofy. So I was just sort of like, you know, I I just remember thinking that like he was cool. I mean, he was thirsty. I mean, like like there was that. But it was like, I didn't necessarily (laughs) just like equate thirst with nerddom. And like, to be honest, I mean, now now I'm really having a reckoning with it. I'm like, wait a minute. Because initially, in the early days of A Different World, it was like he and Denise were going to be a thing. So he was like, really, he was the man in the, in the sense of like a romantic lead. Yeah. And then it kind of like got a little confusing about like who the potential romantic lead was. And then it became very clear that it's like, okay, this is Dwayne Wayne and Whitley. Yeah. But I think like, that is major as compared to, you know, Steve Urkel was like, nobody was supposed to yeah. be interested in him. Everybody was like, okay, yeah. move. we're not paying attention to you in terms of the ladies yeah. with him. But. And like, you know, Kadeem Hardison's like a categorically good looking dude. It's just like, you mm-hmm. know, it's like objectively yeah, a good looking yeah. dude. So like you put glasses on him, you just put glasses on a good looking dude. You know, it's like, right. that's, that's really all it is. You know, it, it, he's uh-huh. still like charming. I just never thought he was uncool. It was a real reckoning for me. I was like, wait a minute. Uh-huh. Am I, was I supposed to, was I supposed to think he was a nerd? Wait. I didn't think that at all, you know? But it's cool to be a part of that, like with this character is sort of like joining that. I feel like that's sort of the lane 
mm-hmm. that 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 the character Chidi sort of like leans into a little bit, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I think Chidi leans harder on the nerd, you know, uh-huh, right. he's significantly more nerdy than Dwayne Way was, but I think it's like, yeah, it's in that world to me of like nerdy, but not being cartoonish necessarily all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's yeah. something that we see with nerds is like, it's just, everything's amped up so high. Mm-hmm. I think the thing about Dwayne Wayne, I think the thing about Chidi is that it's, it's like, these are guys that were, yeah, they're nerdy, but it's just a little more toned down. It's like the nerd that you would actually meet somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? And they've got complexities and it's like being able to see ourselves on television, ourselves represented as intelligent, but also maybe a little not with the times, but still in the times and of the times. You know what I mean? Right. These little things that could be considered nerdy. And it's like, no, there are real people out there that are complex that may not be saying the hippest new slang, but are like relevant and deserve love. And deserve to be <laughs> they loved. deserve love. You know? They deserve love. Yeah. The varying moments of coping with loss and getting to success, what was a moment that felt like a huge transition, like a 180, a moment when you were standing in one place and you were like, things need to change and you decided you had to turn things around? The biggest turning point that comes to mind right now is the moment to take a break from theater to try and get on camera work. That was a tough decision. I hit a point where I was I was working a lot and I felt really fortunate and I really enjoyed the work that I was getting to do for the most part. And working a lot in theater. Working a lot in theater specifically. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I just got so tired of balancing my checkbook in my brain on stage the last week of the run of a show. You know, being like, okay, so I have okay, I got a waiting week. I'm gonna get this last check on this. You know, it's like that that thing. I got sick yep. of doing that. I'm like, here I am on stage performing for people that are paying the price for a ticket that I, as a performer, can't afford to pay. You know, like I right. couldn't afford to go and mm-hmm. see myself. You know, like that's Oof. and yeah. like just doing yeah, and like deep. just years of that. And I remember actually I was doing this show and I actually was like, you know what, I gotta make some other money. I'm tired of feeling like I'm just barely holding on all the time. And in the middle of a show, I remember like the preview period was done. I was asking people like, does anyone know anything that I can do for side work? Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm doing these eight shows a week, but I uh, I need something else. It's not cutting it. It's not cutting it yeah. anymore. I'm, I'm too old for this, you know, I'm, right. I'm too old to be this close to the bone all the time. I think I was, it was a show at Playwrights Horizons was the last like full production that I did before I took this break. And mm-hmm. it was necessary. I was actually starting to, I was starting to get depressed and bitter about being an actor. And I, that's not a fun place to be. And I was like, I need to, I need to get my head right because I'm not enjoying this. And it's starting to feel like it's more effort than it's worth. Mm-hmm. And it got dark for a while, you know, like it got, it got really tough. And so I was like, I need to, I need to take a, take a second. a break not knowing what was next right you were saying i'm not doing any more theater work for now yeah but you didn't have another opportunity right in front of you no i didn't and i I was just like i gotta see what happens i mean it's like something that a lot of people have told me sometimes you have to in order for the thing that you want 
to come into your life, you have to make room for it. Message. <laughs> yes. So for me, that really meant like not always being tied up in a play. It meant being available. It meant sitting still for a second, not knowing what's going to happen that month. And that's terrifying. But I was I just knew that I needed to do that. And so, yeah, I think it was around that time when I had stopped doing theater for a while, really stopped doing workshops, readings. I was pushing all of that to the side. I was doing some on-camera stuff, but not a whole lot. And, you know, things weren't sticking necessarily. And I had sort of made the decision to to maybe transition out of acting. I had no idea what I was going to do, <laughs> but... You were like, but this ain't it? Yeah, this, I don't think this is it. And, you know, I think a lot of actors had that moment where they're like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And then you think about it, and then it feels like you're really losing something if you don't do it anymore. So you're just like, you know what? No, I actually don't want to lose this. I just, I'm just mad at it right now. Yeah. And for me, that conversation, when I had it at that point, I thought, you know, like, dude, I, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And it actually felt like a relief. So it was, there was something different about this time. There was something different about, yeah, it didn't feel like I'm giving up. It felt like... I don't have to do anything if I don't want to do it. It's like, I don't have to do this. I, I remember like that was around the time when I was auditioning for The Good Place. And I was like, I decided this is going to be my last pilot season. I'm just going to throw everything I have at getting a TV job or a movie job or something so I can just see if there's any room for me in that world. I will attribute that sort of relaxation to just kind of being like, this is my last time doing this. This is my last time going into these rooms. Mm. You know, I'm not going to be auditioning all day, every day for the rest of my life. This is going to be the end of it. And so it just meant that I enjoyed it. I just meant, I just yeah. enjoyed being in the room. There was no pressure. It's like, if I get the job, great. If I don't get the job, I'm already done. I'm not going to have to live with this for much longer. Right, right. It was nice. I just went into the room looking to give the performance I wanted to give rather than looking to get a job from somebody. Yes. Message! I think a lot of performers and actors talk about that, about the energy when people sense that you're desperate for it or that you need it, that somehow it comes across in what you do and what you bring into the room, the energy that you bring with your audition. But other times when you're just like, you know what, I'm gonna give y'all what I wanna give. I'm gonna do it for me. I'm not worried about booking it. I'm just worried about like having fun or enjoying that sometimes something completely different comes across to those folks who are watching. And that's the thing you end up booking is the thing that somehow you didn't have the stressors or the pressure of like, I have to book this or this could be it. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that you say that, yeah. It's really liberating. Because the thing is, it's like, don't get me wrong. It's like, I've definitely gone into rooms given the performance I want to give mm -hmm. and then have folks say, like, we don't want that at all. You know? <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, yeah. that's, that's fair, you know? It also felt like I had a little agency because it's like, these are the salient points of this part for me. These are the things that are really speaking to me. Mm. And if you want someone that's drawing different conclusions from what you've created here, then you just want to give that to that other person. And that's okay. Right. That is their part. They fit into the thing that you want to do. And I've been lucky in that some of the more recently, the things that I want to do with a part line up with what a creator might want. Mm -hmm. And then you can, you know, navigate from there. But it's nice. It's nice feeling like, you know, if you didn't get a callback, you didn't get a part or whatever. It's not because, you know, you tried to do the thing and you failed at it. It's like you did the thing that you wanted to do, but they didn't want you to do that. And that's OK. Right. That's, you know, that's, like, okay. that's OK. Yeah. You know, then you feel like a creator, not just like you're just going in there just trying to 
ask for something or to just execute. You're like, mm. I want to, I want to create. Yeah. And I want to help you create the thing. I really like what you said about then you're walking in there as a creator because there is a distinction about, you know, if you walk in feeling like you created this role, this not as opposed to this role was created for you. Like yeah. I created this role. I'm bringing my full self, my full creation to this role versus I'm gonna give them what they want. I hope I give them what they want. It, there's just such a different um, mindset attached to that. So yeah. yeah. That's, that's... And it's not to say that like that mindset never enters in ever again. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, of course it does. It's like, there's tons of jobs that I've gone out for where I'm like, I kind of want to do this, but I think it's like the text really dictates that this is the way this is supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. I also want to try to do this. I want to see if I can give them what they want because like that seems like an interesting challenge or also I just, or maybe I just want this job in particular because there's other things that are really attractive about it. It is like, I think at its heart for me, it's most important to go in and do you because no one else can do that. No Mm -hmm. one else can, you know, like there's you just like sitting down eating chips on a couch is going to be different from any other person doing it. And so it's like, yes, that's what, you know, just, just do you. That's the only, that's the only thing that we have that no one else is going to have is us. So. (laughs) Do you. That's, yeah, it's it's real, you know? Speaking of do you, I don't know if this is a good transition, but I went there. I did it. Okay. Love Life. I'm excited because you are going to be a black male lead in a series about love life. What was that process like? And what are you excited to explore if you can discuss it in terms of having this opportunity to be a black male lead in a love story and I love a, a series about love. You know, I am, I'm excited, man. I mean, like, I got to say, it's like, you know, the rom-com is not my go-to choice for entertainment. <laughs> you know, it just, it just uh-huh. isn't. And, yeah. you know, when this was starting to become a possibility, I actually watched the first season of the show and I was like, oh, this is great. Mm. The thing that I love about the show is that it feels messy. Mm. It isn't cute. It, it's not It's not like a cute, romantic sort of, it's like it gets messy. There are some really cute moments. There are some really wonderful sort of like those moments that everybody loves in the rom-coms and stuff. But sure, there's a couple of those, but really it's more about uh-huh. a young person trying to navigate what it is to be an adult in New York City. And that's, mm-hmm. dating is a large part of that for a lot of us. And so I think that it was just a very well-rounded discussion and interrogation of what that is, what that means. I was like, oh, wow, I never thought I would watch a show that has love in the title somewhere, but I really uh-huh. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. I really, really like this a lot. And, yeah. you know, the world felt really big and all the tropes were avoided. Mm, yeah, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's things about it that I was just like, this is really quality stuff. And they use the dating, you know, trying to find love thing as a way to discuss other stuff. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, this opportunity came my way, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I want to do this. This is great. I, I would love to do this. And I, I am excited at the prospect of being a black man in this particular format, you know, because it's like, I, I, I think yeah, that it's, yeah. um, it's not like black love stories don't exist. They, I mean, you know, it's like, that's, that's, yeah, they, they exist. exist. <laughs> but I, I think that this is a show that had a white woman as its face right. for the first year and to have a black man as the face for the second year. I'd like to think that it's sort of breaking the ideas of what's for what demographic 
Yeah. You know? Totally, yes. I'm excited for that. You know, as far as the stories that we're going to tell, I mean, we're still figuring that out. I have a friend who I'm going to shout out, Dallas Rico, who was trying to be in the writer's room. He didn't quite make it. But you know, there's something for yeah. him. Do you, Dallas. <laughs> Do you. There's still something for you. But you said the stories, you all are still... Yeah, we're still working on it. And it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a different thing. Like this was like, you know, Anna Kendrick season was about a woman looking for her person, you know, just being in the city and looking for her person. And this, like my mm -hmm. my season's gonna be more about someone who was in a long-term relationship and then mm. finding that that relationship is not the relationship that they actually should be in and yeah. launching into the world, you know, older and with a different set of scars, you know, and hmm. I'm really interested in that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I could not be happier to be working on this show with people that I think create really quality stuff, you know. I'm definitely excited when it's released in 2021. I'll definitely be watching and, and excited to just see the journey of the character. Yeah. I'm wondering with the various work that you've done thus far, what is something that you look forward to in terms of creating the legacy of William Jackson Harper? Like, are there things that you're looking forward to or things that you want to put in place that haven't happened yet that you're like, okay, this is like back here in my brain. And I know one day I want to do it, but I'm, you know, I'm still working on it. I mean, I think if you had asked me this question like 15 years ago, I would have had like... Mm -hmm. Like, you know what, man? Here's what I think. And this, like, told you all sorts of stuff. I think just, like, as I'm getting older, it's, I just want to, at the end of everything, for the work that I'm doing to hopefully mean something to somebody, you know? Like, that's really all I'm concerned about. Like, constructing a legacy is not something I'm actually, I'm just not thinking that far down the road. It's, uh, I just, uh -huh. I'm like, you know, it's like every now and again, I feel like I do some good work in a scene. And I, I just want that to stick with people some. Mm. That's all I'm concerned with. Yeah. Oh, that 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 touched me. That surely. Uh, I think we imagine, especially people that have made it to a certain level of success, that like they're always thinking, you know, ten steps ahead and have these plans and fifty million things, which some people do. Mm. Some people do, and that's fine. But I think like being able to say, the moments that I do good work. I want that to land on people and I just want to consistently do good work. Like that is admirable in the sense of just being able to be present and being able to value the work that you do and not constantly be looking for the next or trying to be chasing the next, but like say I'm here, I'm present and I'm grateful for the work that I do and I hope it touches people. That's all I can hope to do. I mean, it's weird, like, as I'm getting older, like, certain dreams get smaller. Mm. And I don't mean that in, like, a bad way. I don't mean that in, like, a, yeah. well, <laughs> I'm jaded now. There's no way that's happening, because that's just not, <laughs> that's not what I mean. I just mean that, like, certain things become, um, I guess it's, like, I don't like taking big swings at big issues that I haven't done a whole bunch of thinking about. You know? Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to, you know, like creating a quote legacy or something like that, it's like, you know, I just, I, I don't, I don't know that I'm smart enough <laughs> to know what folks are going to need and what's going to be important later. I know, but I, yeah. I do know what's important to me right now and what's honest right. and what's coming from a pure place. So for me, it's like trying to do good work. That's the thing that's honest mm -hmm. for me.
I, I want to do that. I want to do good work. I'm really curious to see if, if I can like really just mine my guts a little bit and see what's really truthful. And hopefully it, it lands and it stays and it resonates with people. And that's really all that I can do that feels honest. Yes. Uh, beyond that, it's that's me. That, that'd be more about me. Oh, I guess the other thing would feel more about like my vanity than anything else. The honest place. I love it. <laughs> the honest place. So we wrap up the 180 with a quote. And so I'm going to say this quote and just let me know if it impacts you in a certain way. Your profession is not what brings home your weekly paycheck. Your profession is what you're put here on earth to do with such passion and such intensity that it becomes spiritual and calling. And that's a quote from Vincent Van Gogh. All right, Vincent. Yes. All right. Such passion and such intensity that it becomes spiritual and calling. Yeah. I mean, it was that for him. You know, would you say you feel like the work that you do is spiritual and calling or not necessarily? Or You know, honestly, this is the way that I feel most useful. Mm, mm -hmm. and, and it's the way that I feel that I actually contribute in some way. And and so that is important to me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the, I don't know if there's a spiritual aspect to that or not. But I, I, I do. I like to feel like I'm useful in some way to people that I can and some people that I cannot see or will not know. But I just, I just want to be useful. And so like, that's, that's sort of what like pursuing this career has been about, you know, on my, on my good days, it's like, I, I, I just want to feel useful. I want to like, you know, maybe make someone laugh, maybe hopefully help them understand something about themselves or whatever. And on the bad days, it's like, that's how I define my self-worth. You know, which is not mm. good necessarily. That's right, that's right, that's right. pretty problematic, and that's something that I fight. Mm. You know, every now and again. So I guess maybe there is a spiritual aspect in that it is like kind of ethereal, and and it's kind of hard to grasp onto at times. And mm -hmm. there's two sides to it, but um, but being useful is like the thing that I really latch onto. Yes. Well, thank you so so much, uh, Will uh, William Jackson Hoffa. <laughs> Uh, I just, uh, that's, uh, it's such a good, wait, oh, no, this was an intentional question that I did not actually ask. Where did the three names, like, when did you, what, was there the moment that you decided I'm not going to be William Harper? Oh, or, uh, actually, you know. Actors' Equity decided that for me because <laughs> I showed up in New York and uh, I had gotten my equity card. I had, like, gotten all my equity weeks and paid my equity dues and stuff in Texas. And I moved to, to New York and I hadn't yet, had not gotten my equity card yet. And I was like, why haven't I got my equity card? I've like applied for this months ago. And they're like, oh yeah, that's because your name didn't fly. And I was like, well, wait a minute. They told me in Texas that I was fine. And they're like, and you believe them? I was like, yes. You know? And, <laughs> like, yes, it's Texas. Yes. Yeah. And, so, um, <laughs> and so then they were like, you have to change your name. And my actual middle name is uh, 11 letters long. Oh, okay. And they were like, you either have to change your first name, change your last name or insert your middle name. And so I was like, okay. And Thought about it for a while, and I didn't want to change William. I didn't want to change Harper. And so I was like, well, let me just take my mom's maiden name nice. and place that in the middle. And there we go. And that would be the professional name. But, you know, like, it's I've, I've always been just Will Harper. To, like, that's, that's, yeah. that, that's you know, <laughs> no one says William Jackson Harper unless it's right, right. being introduced or I'm being introduced or something. Well, thank you, Will. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we're on a, you know, casual basis. That this, <laughs> thank you, Will. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Eric. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. You know, my middle name's Michael, but um, you know, Eric. that's the stage thing. Mike. <laughs> yeah, Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much. 
And I want to make sure folks stay connected with you on Instagram so you all can find Will on Instagram at William Jackson Harper and on Twitter at Dub Jack Harper. So Dub like the like D-U-B, like W. You see, that's smart. That's real smart what he did there. <laughs> but at Dub Jack Harper on Twitter. Is there anything else that you want to shout out? Oh, uh, oh man. I feel like I'm supposed to, but I just never think that far in advance. So it's like, <laughs> it's like it's cool. no, shout out yourself. Shout out to you, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, I appreciate you. And it, this has been fun. It's always fun just like, chatting with people, getting to know them and and hearing their stories and consistently being inspired by the ways in which, you know, we deal with the ups and downs of life and finding ways to consistently get back up. So, so thank you so much for sharing. And uh, I'm gonna give you a little round of applause. All right, thank you all so much for joining us. The 180 is produced by David Treatman with audio production and editing by Mike Luno. Original music composed by Jarrett Landon and sung by yours truly. And digital portraits are done by Byron McRae. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. We want your help in spreading love and inspiration. Follow us on all social media at The180Pod and visit our website, www.the180pod.com. If you want to help support more of these inspirational stories, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get access to chat a little bit more with me. You can get access to exclusive content, merchandise, and you can even hear episodes early. You can visit our Patreon and support at www.patreon.com slash the180pod. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Take care and be blessed. Know that you'll have a blessing. If you just keep on pressing, don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah.